strong. say you sound real good today amen thank you you may be seated well good morning so glad that you're here this morning uh, good news and bad news um, good news is we're six months from Christmas bad news is we're six months from Christmas so start shopping now Glad that you are here in the middle of the summer. We're blessed by your presence and your attendance today. Would you please be praying for our youth group uh, this next week? We'll be leaving for youth camp in glorious Glorieta, New Mexico for a week. So while you're sweating, we'll be praising Jesus and freezing. So we'll be very happy. So, but seriously, do pray for us as our youth will be going to Glorieta, New Mexico for camp. We're very excited about there. About 35 of us signed up right now. And a couple more hanging on to find out for sure. So, but do pray for our travel, and the Lord will do a great and mighty work and continue to work in our students' ministry. We're we're so glad you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love to know more about you. You'll see in your bulletin a little blue communication card. If you would fill that out and turn that in the offering at the end of the service, we'd sure appreciate that. And our pastor would also like to meet you and give you a free copy of his book, an autographed copy as well, I think. Is that correct? Autograph, perfect. And, uh, oh, Kevin, I think I touched your screen here. Sorry about that, man. Hope I didn't mess you up. Um, anyway, sorry, buddy. Uh, anyway, uh, any prayer requests you may have, if you'd fill that out, we'd sure appreciate that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to continue to bless our services this morning. Father, we love you. We do thank you for this day and for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the honor and the privilege that you give us to come before you and to lift and exalt your name upon high, Lord. For we know that you are Yahweh. You are Jehovah, the great I am. And, Lord, we know that we're nothing without you, and we, we absolutely plead our utter dependence upon you. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you give us through your blood that you shed on the precious cross. I pray, Lord, that you would be with our pastor as he delivers the message you put upon his heart. And I pray, Jesus, that you would continue to be with us as a church, that we are a light to this community. We love you, Lord. We dedicate this time to you. And we ask these things in your powerful and holy name. Amen. Jesus breaks the power of sin and darkness. Amen. I'm thankful for that today. And I love to hear you sing. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. Let's do that today. I want you to stand and sing. This is amazing grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. 
This is amazing grace. 
so glad to have Pastor Stewart back with us today. Amen. Today he preaches out of John chapter 7. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. We trust the Lord because of that. He is a good and faithful God today. Amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to Praise the Lord today. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know who you are or whatever has brought you to this place today, but this I want you to know today. 
that our God is trustworthy. And he has a word for you today. And whoever you are and whatever has brought you to this place today and whatever you've brought in here, I know this. You can leave different than when you came in. Not for anything that you've done, but it's who God says you are. And he says that you are precious today. I want you to learn this song with us. Vanessa sings, Who You Say I Am. Worship with us.
before we pray, I'd like to assure you that uh, if any of you have a need that I possibly could feel this coming week, I would appreciate it if you call on me. It would be a blessing to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just count it a great honor to bow down before you today. And I thank you, Father, for the uh, Bible study and praise time that we've already had. Lord, it's, it's been good. And now, Lord, I just lift up my, our pastor to you that when he comes to preach your word that uh, you would have your spirit touch our hearts in a very special way. Because, Lord, I know that there's uh, something for all of us to do, even if it's just tell who Jesus is to someone. So we can do that, Lord. So give us the courage to do it. And I thank you and praise you and love you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is Jesus Christ, my living hope, who could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace, the God of Cross as far. 
came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the Anybody excited about that message? Amen. Amen. We are thankful that God is our living hope. And man, thank you, praise team and Kevin and musicians for leading us in worship today. It is good to be back. Uh, one Sunday in Sioux Falls, we live streamed another church in another state. And it was great, but it was kind of awkward watching church uh, on the video. And then last week, we had a great worship service with Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. And a uh, wonderful time with some friends over there. But it is great to be back. Special thanks to Dr. Philip Cables, Caples and uh, Thomas Warsham for preaching while I was out. They did both did a fantastic job. And it is great now to be back and refreshed and ready to dig into God's Word today. We are returning to our series on the Gospel of John. Uh, if you haven't figured out already, we're going to bounce in and out of this series for forever. Uh, we're only in John chapter 7, and there's a lot of chapters, but uh, we're continuing to journey through here. And uh, we are in John chapter 7, verses 14 through 39. Just turn there. Uh, I'm going to tell the story up to verse 37, and then we're going to concentrate on those 
three verses, which Kevin alluded to you this morning, but I want to read those, verses 37 through 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, that is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. John then gives us some understanding by adding in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, and the city of Jerusalem was packed. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the seven great festivals prescribed in the Old Testament. Uh, two were later added, the Feast of Purim during the time of Esther, and then the Feast of, Han Feast of Hanukkah during the intertestamental period. But Tabernacles was a seven-day feast with an additional eight-day, eighth day for a solemn assembly. And the festival commemorated God's faithfulness and his provision to the people of Israel during the wilderness wanderings after they had been uh, led out of Egypt by, through Moses and before they went into the promised land under the guidance of Joshua. And so provision was the emphasis of the feast. And so the Jews celebrated this feast in the fall of the year as a harvest festival, thanking God for the fruits of the, the past year, the vine and the olive, as well as the barley and the wheat and the fruit. And a big part of this celebration was also thanking God for the rain, without which none of those crops would have been able to grow. While most Jews arrived in Jerusalem ahead of the time of the feast, and they often would join in great processions and caravans that were coming into the city, sometimes joining up with other family members or other just joining with other families, Jesus had intentionally waited to go to Jerusalem. After he did arrive, though, Jesus continued to wait, and John tells us at the beginning of our passage today in verse 14 that it wasn't until halfway through the feast that Jesus went up into the temple courts in order to be where all of the action was and to teach. And the reason that he didn't go was he knew that he would draw attention, and draw attention he did. As Jesus began teaching, he caught the eyes of both the religious leaders whom John calls the Jews. That's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the scribes, the high priest. And he also drew the attention of the people there. The religious leaders had been looking for Jesus. He had ticked them off really big the last time he had been in the area when he Kill, when he, not killed, when he healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. That would be an interesting gospel story. Uh, Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and that really ticked off all the religious leaders. Not that he healed him so much, though that aggravated them. It was the fact that it was on the Sabbath. And they were still just so angry about that. And so Jesus was a marked man, and these pompous, pious joy suckers were intending to kill Jesus. But when they heard him teach, they were amazed 
Now they were amazed not to listen and to obey, but they were amazed because they couldn't believe how much this backwoods bumpkin from Nazareth, they couldn't believe he knew so much. Look at their reaction in verse 15. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? The Jews, remembering referring to the religious leaders, couldn't understand. How did Jesus, who hasn't sat under one of our great rabbis, know so much? How can this preacher from Nazareth, who hasn't been to seminary, teach so well? How could he know so much? Well, Jesus' answer to them is that his teaching was not his own. It came from God. You know, there's a difference in teaching that comes from man and that which comes from God. And generally, you can tell the difference. The problem with the religious leaders was they could tell the difference. They noticed something different about Jesus' teaching. The problem was they didn't know what made the difference. And they were the very people who should have known what made the difference. You know, we give the religious leaders a hard time But we're often far more like them than we care to admit. These men had the scriptures. They had spiritual knowledge. They had excellent education in biblical and, and spiritual things. They spent every day at the temple. Yet they were spiritually dead and famished by the familiar. They were spiritually parched and they didn't even know it. We can be that way. You can be that way. I can be that way. We are Pharisees and Sadducees far more than we can admit. We have the scriptures even more than they. We have the whole New Testament. We all have our own copy, maybe a dozen copies. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have freedom to worship And yet, we miss the difference the Lord makes. We wink at our own sin, but we condemn others. And when we do, we are they. When we go through the motions of worship, but we don't have a heart connection with the Lord, we are they. We too are parched and spiritually dead and famished by the familiar and we don't know it. And maybe we don't want to know it. In that day, Jesus didn't let the religious leaders get away with their spiritual decay. He called them to the task. He nails them down in verse 18 when he says, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. The religious leaders sought glory for themselves. Jesus sought glory for God. It didn't take long for the crowd to get in on the conflict. Both groups, the religious leaders and the crowd, continued listening to Jesus, debating with Jesus. And some challenged Jesus. Others tried to defend him or to understand him. And that's largely the discourse that goes on until we get down through verse 36. The air was tense. 
but also the expectation was high. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time of great messianic hope in Jerusalem. And it came from uh, the prophets. The, the people knew that the prophet Zechariah had spoken of a time when God would fight for and defend his people. And then all of the nations would come together, travel to Jerusalem to worship God during the Feast of Tabernacles. And then the, feast, the prophet Joel had talking about this great day when God would pour out his spirit on all people And there'd be this time when your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. God would pour out his spirit. And so expectation was really high at this time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And in true biblical fashion, the people celebrated this festival with a lot of imagery and ritual. They dressed in their Sabbath best for the week, and they called it The season of our gladness. Uh, They constructed their little booths that they would build according to rabbinical building code. The walls had to be thin enough so that light could come in and there could be no nails used. And the roof had uh, had to show enough sky so you could see the stars at night. And some Jews would live in these little booths during the week. And some of them would just kind of have their family meals or kind of devotional time in those booths. But it was a reminder of the time that they tabernacled in the wilderness and God too tabernacled with them in the midst of the camp and he provided for them and and so it was a special time but there was another part of the festival that is not prescribed or described in scripture but was widely practiced in antiquity on the first seven days of the feast The day began with a ritual that is behind verses 37 to 39. And if you don't understand that ritual, you miss the power of what Jesus is saying. Rabbinical literature tells us that each morning at round dawn, great multitudes of people would gather at the temple for the start of the day of celebration. And they would come with a citrus fruit in their left hands and they would come with a what was called a lulab which was a a group of branches from the palm tree a willow tree and a myrtle tree in their right hand and the citrus reminded them that God had brought them bountiful blessings and the lulab uh, reminded them of their ancestors journey through the wilderness and they would gather this they'd come together all together at the temple and after the priest was sure everything was in order he would hold out a golden pitcher and The crowds would then follow the priest as he carried that pitcher out of the temple courts down to the pool of Siloam. And as they approached the pool of Siloam, the the priest would dip the pitcher into the water and the people would recite the words of Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then the crowd would march back to the temple, entering through the water gate. And they would, the tr- priest's trumpets would blast. And the priest would circle the altar once, ascend with the accompanying priest to the platform, and pour the water out. And that occurred every morning for the first six days of the festival. Verse 37 notes that it was the last and greatest day of the feast. Now... We're unsure if John means 
the seventh day of the feast or the eighth day of the feast. Remember, the eighth day was really the last, but it was a solemn assembly. Good arguments can be made for both days, but it seems that Jesus' actions fit best on the seventh day, which was the greatest day of pageantry regarding that water ceremony. On the seventh day, the priest again gathered with the people at dawn. He again took the golden pitcher. They again marched out to the pool of Siloam. He again dipped the water. They again quoted the verse of Isaiah. They again went back to the city with the fanfare of the trumpets. But this time, the priest went around the altar six, seven times in succession, just like at Jericho. And on the, at the end of the sixth time, another priest would join him with wine And they would circle the altar, then they would ascend to the altar, and there would be a pause as the priest raised his pitcher. And the crowd would begin to shout to the priest to hold it higher and hold it higher, and and he would try to do so. And it was considered to be the height of joy in an Israelite's life if he could see the water being poured out around the altar. And so as the priest lifted that pitcher high and everybody called higher and higher, and then as it began to tip, the crowd grew hushed as everyone strained to see. And it very well may have been at that dramatic moment of hushed silence and greatest expectation that Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Pretty dramatic. Jesus was declaring himself Messiah. If anyone is thirsty, are you thirsty? If you are, you will recognize your thirst. You've noticed that. If anyone is thirsty. Have you ever been really thirsty? Now, I don't mean yesterday when you were mowing your yard. It's hot and you were probably thirsty. But I mean like really thirsty. The thirstiest I've ever been was in 1984 after our family had spent a day at the World's Fair in New Orleans. Did any of you get to go there? Our college students are going, Pastor, my parents were kids too back then. I don't even. Well, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, there was a World's Fair in New Orleans. (laughs) And it was so long ago for me. I would have been nine at the time, eight or nine. And um, I remember very little. I I remember the lagoon. I remember the vivid colors of everything. I, I remember seeing the space shuttle I remember the giant statues of Neptune and I guess a mermaid who needed to have some clothes on. Um, But when I hear World's Fair, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I was so thirsty. Way back then in 1984, we didn't carry water bottles around with us. We had never heard of Yeti or Clean Canteen, and we'd never seen a plastic bottle. Who would have thought about going and buying water? But don't you wish you would have thought about bottling some and selling it? 
So there, I mean, I guess there were water fountains around and all, but we were trying to get it all in. And, and we walked and we walked and we walked and we walked. And, and we, we finally ended up at a restaurant that evening. And, and I didn't care about the food, though I was hungry. I didn't want a Coke, even though I was a kid and could have gotten a Coke. All I wanted was water. All they could bring. And all I remember about that meal is drinking glass after glass after glass of water. Are you thirsty today? I don't mean physical thirst for physical water, but spiritual thirst for spiritual water. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, is that you? Spiritual thirst comes when you know you need more in your spiritual life. You know that you wink at sin. You know that your worship isn't passionate. You know that your walk with God is weak. Are you thirsty today? If you are, then you will seek the appropriate source of satisfaction. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That day in New Orleans, I didn't want a Coke. I wanted water. Even as a kid, I knew that water alone would bring satisfaction to my thirst. The appropriate source of satisfaction for spiritual thirst is Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, Jesus says. We so often try to satisfy our thirst with all kind of other things, uh, achievements and hobbies and success and money and accolades. And, and it's a perennial problem of the people of God. We're always looking for something else to fill us and to quench that thirst that only Jesus can quench. It's a perennial problem of the people of God. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we read a pointed correction. Jeremiah says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. For some reason, our tendency is to try all kinds of other things before we turn to Jesus. Sometimes, even after we turn to Jesus, we revert back to all the other kinds of things. We'll build our own cisterns, even use a broken one instead of drinking from the springs of Jesus. Our older generations know what a cistern is. Our younger generations may not, but a cistern was generally a large hole, often that you just dug into the ground and you built up walls with stone or rock and then would plaster it so that you could hold water. You would maybe divert a stream into it or you would get the water from your roof to go into there and, and you collected water. And that water was used for all sorts of things. Uh, there's an old cistern at my grandma's house and, and then one at mom's as well. And um, my main memory of the one at my grandma's, it's covered. You can't even really get to it. But when we would be outside playing at my grandma's as a kid, mama would always say, don't go by the cistern. It, you might fall in the ground. And I just had this vision of the earth going and swallowing us grandkids up. And so I never went near the cistern. I, even to this day, I'm like, whoa, that's the cistern. Don't go near but at mom's, it's not covered. We have like a metal grate over it. And you can look down into that cistern and, and it, the water's nasty down in there. There's a couple of frogs live down in it. 
There's a fern growing out of the side of the cistern. Now, now if you were using that cistern all the time, you, you cleaned it and you kept that plaster fresh and all that. But, but even then, I've been told sometimes you got the water out of the cistern, you had to get the wiggle tails out of it. Right? And how clean is that water really anyway? Off your roof? Or... So why would you dig a cistern? When you could drink from a spring of fresh, clean water. You wouldn't. To do so would be dumb. You dig a cistern when you don't have a spring. But if you have a spring, you use the spring. Jesus is that spring. He's that source of water. Are you thirsty today? Are the wiggle tails starting to get to you? Third, if you're thirsty, you will enjoy satisfying results. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Huh. We become the spring. But how is that? Well, John explains in verse 39, by this he meant the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In all of this reference to this spring and this water imagery and even the, the Feast of Tabernacles imagery, it's kind of remembering back to that experience of Israel in Exodus when Moses struck the rock and water came gushing forth to provide for the people. It was a, a natural connection during that water ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles and that celebration of God's provision. But that water in Moses' day was but a picture of the Spirit of God that was, was to come. And Jesus was saying that believers would not only drink the living water, but they would soon become channels of the living water through whom others would be blessed and a thirsty world would be satisfied. Water for drinking is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, just as water for washing is a symbol of the Word of God. And once Jesus was glorified, after he died, was buried, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, he dispatched the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit now fills the followers of Jesus with power and overflowing joy that is meant to impact the lives of those around us. And we are given life so that others might have life. You see, wherever there is water, there is life. Did you know you can grow pecan trees in the desert? Several years ago, some of us took a vision trip to uh, Tucson, Arizona, and we were looking about some possible uh, ministry options there, and they were touring us around different things. And as we were driving down the road one day through all this desert, all of a sudden, I noticed that it got a little shady, and I look out, and there's pecan groves on each side of the road. I'm going, what in the world? Big, beautiful pecan trees like we grow around here. Grass under them. And I noticed the careful irrigation. Channels dug to bring the water in. Piping running out. Sprinklers running out through that. Everywhere there was not water, there was still desert. But everywhere that water droplet hit was fresh and beautiful and green. If you look up Tucson on Google Maps satellite view, you can see the green dot 
and then I blew it up there. That's all just pecan trees. As green as it can be in the middle of the desert. All because of water. I don't think there's anywhere you can be thirstier than in the desert. And yet satisfaction can even come in the desert where there's water. We live in a spiritual desert. And we are to be the water into that desert. When we are thirsty and we draw our satisfaction from the well of Jesus, that water then flows out of us to others, bringing satisfaction to their spiritual thirst. Notice that Jesus does not say a stream of living water or a river of living water. He says streams, rivers, plural. When I went to church camp as a child and youth, we sang fun and goofy songs just like the kids do today. And one of those was one that talked about the river of life that sprung out of us. And um, if you know it, sing it with me. It went like this. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well, gush, 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 gush within my soul. Spring up a well, splish, splash, make me whole. Spring up a well, yee-haw, something, and give to me that life abundantly. And we'd be doing the gush, 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 and spray me. All that kind of crazy mess. Um, when I was minister of music at First Baptist LeCount, I'd have the people do that on Sunday nights sometimes. It was pretty entertaining, wasn't it? They didn't all do gush, 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 but we tried. The song was dumb. We had fun with it. We made fun of it, but it embedded this truth in my mind. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And... It, I should be joyful because of it. And, and that river of life should splish, splash, and gush, gush all over the place, making me say yee-haw as, as it goes out into the world. There should be satisfying results of the Spirit and the water coming into me and running out into the people around me. You know what's sad? Is if a gushing well is not flowing out of your life as a believer you're no better than the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You're no better than a lost person. You are parched and you don't even know it. But if today you can recognize your thirst and come to the appropriate source of satisfaction, you will see satisfying results. As I was studying different commentaries this week, I came across this quote from William Barclay, which just is so powerful. Water is that without which man cannot live. Christ is the one without whom man cannot live and dare not die. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for the right thing, the right one today? That day in New Orleans as an eight-year-old, I could not get enough water. I didn't want a Coke. I wanted water. I didn't care about the food. I wanted water. I was thirsty, and only one thing could satisfy. Are you thirsty today? Will you go to the one thing that can satisfy? 
Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He can satisfy. He can come in and change your life. Maybe you're a believer, but you would have to say, you know what? There's not a river of life flowing out of me. Would you come and drink anew from the water of Jesus today? He doesn't want you to just be parched. He doesn't want you to be dry. He wants you to be joyful and gushing forth. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we are so grateful that you give us your word and that you give us your spirit and that you want us to be full of life, making a difference. Lord, in these moments, I pray that we would do business with you and that we would search our hearts and we'd really ask ourselves, do I first know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this time you would speak and you would help people to know whether they are set for eternity today. And if not, I pray that you'd give them the conviction that they need to trust you today, that they would... When we sing in a few moments, they'd come forward and they'd say, Pastor, I am coming forward today to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for others of us who are living out our faith journey. We, we know that, that we're saved. We know that we're a believer, but maybe our fellowship isn't what it should be. And so, God, I pray that you would bring revival and awakening into our hearts today. Lord, maybe the way that, that you're going to continue to move us forward is to Help us to plan our lives in this church. And so, Lord, there may be those that have been praying for your guidance about coming to be a part of this church family. And, Lord, if it's time and you're calling them, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision. Lord, help us to be obedient to you this morning. For the blessings follow obedience. The rivers of gladness follow obedience. And so, Lord, help us to take the first step, whatever it is today, as we trust and we follow you. We place ourselves into your hand and we ask, Lord, that you would mold us and shape us exactly how you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.